And uh, I want us to read this. And I'm reading this. This was not in my sermon today, but earlier when the Holy Spirit was speaking spontaneously, what the Bible calls prophetically, to those here who feel they have no hope, your heart has gone dead. I cannot not read this to you because it is the trick of the enemy for you to believe there is no hope. If you have not yet come to Christ, now is the time. Because Jesus, who broke the power of death, can break the power of depression, loneliness, discouragement, sickness, disease, mental anguish, bipolar disorders. He can change the chemistry in your body, the constitution of your emotions. He's God. He's your creator. He can do anything. And he proved it when he rose from the dead. And in Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, starting in verse 14, I'm going to read through verse 18. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Inasmuch then as the children, that is you and I, the children of God, have partaken of flesh and blood, in other words, we were born, just like Leah Sharon, we partook of flesh and blood, we became human beings. He himself, as Jesus, likewise shared in the same, becoming a human being, that through death, he might destroy him. The word destroy means completely dismantle of power and annihilate him who had the power, who had, past tense, the power of death, that is, the devil. I love how plain and clear and precise the Holy Spirit wrote the word of God to us. In case you were wondering who it is that had the power of death, he very clearly puts it out, the devil. And Jesus released those. Will you say released? Released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Being subjected to or submitted to the power of fear, anxiety, worry, woe, of death and loss. Jesus broke the power of death so that he can come into your life and release us daily through the power of his resurrection from fear. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That means uh, children of God. Therefore, in all things, he's been made. Listen to those of you who are suffering today in any way, shape or form. Listen to this. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brothers, you and I, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and became the substitution for the sins of his people. In other words, he became just like you and I and was tempted in every way that you and I were to the point where it says in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was going to the cross, he was under such anxiety, such stress, such pressure, Bearing down on him that you may feel at times when you're alone, you've lost your job, your marriage is breaking up, you feel misunderstood, you have an incurable disease, whatever it might be in that pressure and anxiety bearing down on you. He knows exactly how that feels way beyond you. That's how he can sympathize and empathize with you. He understands and feels exactly what your body is feeling on the inside. Why? He went through it so that he could understand you. And, verse 18, for in that he himself has suffered, 
being tested and tempted, He is able to aid those who are tested and tempted. He not only can feel your anxieties and worries and sorrows and stresses, He can do something about them. He has resurrection power available for you. But you have to press into Him. Not religion, not church, Him. He is your resurrection and your life. Not a preacher, not beautiful singing, Jesus. I thank God when I was 19 years old, going to Ohio State University, majoring in music, that someone told me about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanted nothing to do with it, but I was glad they told me. Because I did not know what they were talking about. I thought they were talking about what I was raised in, which was religion. Though there was a knowledge of God, and I'm thankful for that knowledge of God, I was never taught that Jesus was in love with me, died for my sins, wanted to walk with me daily, was my best friend, and that heaven was a free gift if I would just yield my soul to the Savior. I was never told that. And once I was told that, I knelt down by my bed and I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're really who those people down at that church say you are, but if you are, I'm asking you into my life. Now, I'm not preaching because for all the you know big money that comes along with this position. <laughs> he personally proved himself to me. And now I can't help but spend the rest of my life drawing people to Jesus with every ounce of my being. But you have to make the choice to come. If he had not risen from the dead, he could not prove himself to you. You'd have to rely on somebody trying to persuade or convince you. But if you would just crack your heart open just a tad like I did and say, Jesus, I'm not even sure you're who they say you are. But if you are, I'm inviting you in. It's all he needs is that invitation because he gave you a free will and he will not override it. You have to crack the door of your heart and then he will prove himself to you. Amen. So for those of you depressed, discouraged, or lonely today, that is your assignment. Press into Him. Seek Him. Call on Him. Get alone with Him. Pray prayers like, God, I have no idea how to pray, but I want to start. Those are the kind of prayers that He likes to hear. Don't try to impress Him. Just come to honestly. My favorite verse in the entire Bible is, Trust in God at all times, people. And pour out your heart before Him. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Just be honest with God because He knows your heart anyway. Pour out your heart before God. So that He can berate and criticize you and tell you what a loser you are. I love it when God does that. That's why I come to Him. But isn't that what we think because of the shame base and the sense of inferiority and spiritual insecurity we carry around with us? That's why we hide from him. And then preachers that are doing this. I don't know any of them. All my friends are wonderful pastors. But there are some who have a spirit of shame on them and are berating people. And so then you want to run farther from God. The scripture says, pour out your heart before him. Because God is a hiding place for us. A safe refuge. This morning, I don't want to talk to you about if Jesus rose from the dead, but I would like to read this to you. One lady wrote in to a question and answer form and she said, Dear sirs, 
Our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and didn't actually die. And that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely bewildered. Now, that may sound like a joke, but there are actual people standing in pulpits that are teaching that heresy. And I'm not going to do an apologetic sermon today, meaning going through all of the um, critics and their um, proof texts that Jesus did not raise from the dead. I did that on an Easter sermon one time. You can get it off the website or you can order it from our resource center. Um, and uh, the proof of the resurrection is what it was called. And I went through a very uh, long list of every reason why they say Jesus did not rise from the dead. And then I refuted it with logic, scripture, and historical references. But I would just like to share with you this morning in that vein the answer that this person sent back to them. Dear Bewildered, beat your preacher with a whip with lead nails on the end, 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. <laughs> Sincerely, Charles. So that's all I'm going to say about did Jesus raise from the dead. What I would like to... Well, what I would like to, the question I would like to answer this morning is why did he do it? Whenever you watch Law and Order or CSI or those shows that you watch that I wouldn't watch. (laughs) Whenever they're trying to find, uh, bring a person to court. They can have all sorts of circumstantial evidence. But what they keep coming back to is, what was their motive? There's got to be a compelling reason why this person would have done what you're saying all the evidence points to them to having done. And they search and search and search for the motive behind the action. And when we look behind the motive of why Jesus came from heaven, becomes one of us, allows himself to be spit on, beaten, mocked, told that he was an illegitimate son. There are other words they use, but I won't use those in church. They accused him of being demon-possessed. His own brothers and sisters said he was a lunatic. The church completely rejected him. And then they tortured him. And then hung him on a cross and killed him. Why? What was his motive to allow them to do that? Because he could have stopped it. And one word, the motive is found. Love.
and his love for you. It's not just love for the whole world, though he has love for the whole world and he died for the whole world, until you come to a revelation that he loves you, that he created you to love him, and that he died on the cross for you, you will never have a personal relationship with him. I mean, it would be like if my wife came to me and said, I love you, but I love everybody, you know, (laughs) that that is going to seriously hinder the intimacy between she and I. It's when she and I put these rings on and said to one another, I say no to every other woman and I say no to every other man on earth. And I am saying I only want you and that one on one Love exchange creates a marriage in the same way. God can love the whole world and you personally and individually all at the same time. And it's that personal individual invitation of love with God that draws you into that personal relationship. And that is what Christianity is. What does love have to do with Easter? Isn't love just a second-hand emotion, just a mushy feeling, something that comes and goes? Not God's love. God's love, trying to come up with words that describe God's love is really cheap, to say the least. But here's a shot. God's love is fervent, ferocious, passionate, eternal, unconditional, unreasonable and profoundly sacrificial. You see, love is an action. Well, I, being a pastor, I've counseled so many marriages over the years. It's a little cold in here, isn't it? Do I say that every Sunday? I do. I don't want to say that anymore. In a marriage, I need one of my elders to finally do something about that. Great. One of them offered to buy me a sweater. (laughs) If you're visiting here today, I need a new elder. If you would like to. You, sir, done deal. All right. You're out. In a marriage, so many times I hear, well, I'm not in love with them anymore. In other words, the feelings have gone. Well, do you think Jesus felt like going to the cross? See, he is our model of faithfulness. Love is not a feeling. It can produce feelings at times, but it is not a feeling. It is a commitment. And until that sinks deep down inside of you, you can have insecurity in your marriage based on whether the feelings come or go. And you've got to stay away from people outside of the marriage because your feelings will transfer from one to the other and then they really feel like they went and they transferred over here. You see, Jesus is our model of faithfulness. 
Because he is so in love with you and I, he went through that garden of Gethsemane. He allowed himself to be spit on. He allowed himself to be beaten, tortured. He allowed himself to be crucified and died so that he could raise from the dead so that he could have you personally forever. And he will never, ever, ever give up on you. No matter how unfaithful you are to him, he will never be unfaithful to you. He is the most amazing, faithful partner you are ever going to experience. I don't care how far you run, how bad you are, how bad you blow it. As soon as you start to turn around, boom, you bump into God. And he was just there all the whole time. And he does not have a look of disappointment and disgrace on his face. He has a smile and his arms wide open. He's just ready to hug you and absorb all your badness and restore you. And he can do it instantly. And this is just happy preaching to you if you've never experienced that. I've experienced that, so I know what I'm talking about. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's sloppy, overwhelmingly mad in love with us. And it's crazy. Because we are so unlovable. This is what completely separates the love of God from human love. Human love is inspired by beauty. I love that movie. I love my dog. I love the color green. We just sling a word of love around. But it all has to do with the beauty of the object. And it pulls love out of us. How can God look at you and feel love come out of him? Because God's love is just the opposite of ours. God is love. And God is drawn to weakness and brokenness and despicable conditions. Because he knows that his love can restore. And he wants us to be like him, by the way. But that's another sermon for Christians. I am sure that probably even to this day, no, maybe they're catching up to it, that angels in heaven and angels in hell all were completely, absolutely dumbfounded when Jesus died on the cross and when they realized it was for us. And when they found that the motive was love, That had to even confuse them more. It really is a mystery. The Bible calls the good news, the gospel, a mystery. And the mystery isn't only that God became a man and died on the cross and rose from the dead. The mystery is that he did it for fallen human beings who have spit in God's face and have rejected him and said, we don't want anything to do with you. I want to live my own life the way I want to live it. This is the love of God. Look what Romans 5 verse 68 says. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us 
while we were still sinners. There's a story I read recently of a West Point graduate who was sent over to Vietnam during the Vietnam War to lead a group of new recruits into battle. And he did his best to keep his platoon from harm and death. And they were in the heat of a battle and one of his soldiers got left behind. And as they were all in the uh, foxhole, they realized, hearing the groans of their wounded uh, soldier, they heard the groans, they realized anybody that went out and tried to rescue him would surely die. And yet this young lieutenant went out into the battlefield and rescued the wounded soldier, but he himself died in the process. And so, at one point, the uh, grieving parents heard that the soldier that had been saved by their son was in the vicinity. So they uh, had a meeting. They invited him over to their home and wanted to see this young man that their son had given his life for. And this guy came over to their house, and he was drunk, and he was nasty, telling off-color jokes, disrespectful, and showed no gratitude for the sacrifice that their son had made for him. And they tried and tried to build a rapport with him, and it just wouldn't happen. And finally, when they left and closed the door, the mother just started weeping and said, Our son gave his life for him. This had to be what it was like for the angels who know God in all his perfection and glory to see what he went through for us. And here's the difference between Jesus and that story. Jesus knew we would behave that way, and he did it anyway. I mean, his love is unreasonable, irrational. Because he knows that the only shot we have is his love. So he did it anyway. In the hope that someone would turn to him and allow his love to restore them back to the wholeness and the fullness that God created us to be in in the first place. You see, we don't really understand this until maybe we translate it into what it's like when we feel about our kids. I mean, isn't it amazing how you can have a mass murderer and... You watch maybe uh, Cold Case, you know, the detective show that shows you uh, these, these historical cases that detectives crack these cases. And, and uh, they'll finally, you know, find the person who did it and have all the evidence and it's proven that they truly were a rapist or a mass murderer or done some heinous crime. And then they interview the parents. And you can just almost always depend on mom to say... He's a good boy. (laughs) And you just think, that is so pathetic. No, that's a parent who can see through the badness to that little child that she remembers before they turn bad. And that's the way God is with you and me. When you and I can look at the most despicable person 
and have disdain and disrespect for them, God's after them with love. Because he remembers what they were supposed to be like. And he has every intent on redeeming them and restoring them until the curtain falls and there's no more opportunity. And today the curtain is still open. Today is still the day of salvation. Today is still the day of restoration. And there's still hope for every person that's breathing air today to turn to Christ and allow Him to save you, forgive you, heal you, and restore you and make you His son or daughter for eternity. And us in the church, we've got to stop judging one another, criticizing one another, focusing on one another's negative points and disagreeable personalities and faults and flaws because that is not what God is doing. God knows that we are all messed up and broken and just in process. We need to give each other so much grace and mercy and be part of the restoration process and learn to forgive. We need to have the love of God in our churches flowing through our hearts to one another. Then they can become churches the safest places on earth. Because you can screw up but you can be forgiven so quickly in the house of God. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. What about you? But I'm going to speak right now to believers and those that are still seeking whether Jesus is the Christ or not. Until you come to know Jesus personally, until you know that He died for you personally, you're never going to understand what Christianity is all about. It is not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not a religion. It's not going to church. It is you and Jesus walking together through life. I was at a pizza parlor a couple nights ago with my son's uh, Little League baseball team. And there's a mom sitting next to me. And uh, I'm a pastor, so when people find that out, they get real good around me and almost inevitably oh I say my prayers every night comes out of their mouth and I think I don't even do that <laughs> you know but but you know they're they're trying to act right you know in the presence of the man of cloth and uh and so she starts saying I know I should read my bible I know I should go to church she started shooting all over herself that's what you do when you you know the the, the shame comes up oh I, I should pray more. I know I should go to church. And, and, and she just feel I could see her just digging this hole of, of personal disappointment and shame. And I'm just eating my pepperoni pizza and drinking a Coke. But because I represent God to her, all of a sudden, all of her failures start becoming so apparent to her. And I just reached over and I put my hand on her hand and I said, that's not what it is about at all. I said, this isn't about whether you read your Bible or not, or whether you go to church or not, or whether you've prayed or not. This is about the fact that you are God's daughter, and He's in love with you, and He misses you. And He wants to be in the operating room with you as you're an, as a nurse operating on those patients. He wants to walk into those He wants to walk into those rooms where people are dying with you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to partner in life with you. He's your God. He's your Father. He's your best friend. And he just misses you. And I mean, right there in front of God and everybody in the the pizza man and she just starts i mean her tears well up and tears start coming down her cheeks and it was tears of relief and joy that's the gospel that's the grace of god that is jesus 
And the next thing out of her mouth knows you rang the bell. She says, where's your church? Rather than, where's the door, right? Which is what most people feel like when somebody's witnessing to them. Look at what the Apostle John says, who knew Jesus the most, was closest to him. In 1 John four sixteen through 19, he says, And we have, this first phrase is so important to catch, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. It's not, first step is knowing the love of God, which is what I'm trying to help you today get a little bit of knowledge about the love of God and how unbridled it is for you. But it's once you start hearing about it and even understand the love of God, believing that it's for you is when you transcend into who you were supposed to be all along. Because the love of God sets you free. Look at what it says. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. I have to say this. I'm going to stop here just for a second. I find that the number one missing ingredient in all the counseling that I do and other pastors on the staff do, the root to almost every low self-esteem, low self-image, self-hatred issue is a lack of revelation of God's love for you personally. I'm talking about pastors, pastors' wives, pastors' kids, church members, elders, board members. I mean, you could go to church for 50 years and not be touched by the love of God because you're just so afraid to receive it and you don't believe it's for you. And it's the moment that you let all the shame fall to the foot of the cross and say, even though I'm half-baked, half-made, just imperfect, I am, and here's the phrase that I learned, God gave this to me and it's changed my life, I am going to let God love me anyway. You cannot receive all the blessings of God pouring into your life from the cross if you won't let Him love you in spite of yourself. I tell you, you just become the happiest mess anybody's ever run into. And you get the religious people that can't receive the love of God working for Jesus, working for Jesus. And then they see somebody that's, you know, just not working for Jesus half as much, and they're just happy in God. And it just makes them mad. And then when God heals them, gives them a promotion at work, And they weren't even tithing. It just makes you mad. Because I'm jumping through all the religious hoops. And I know they're not. It's like, wow. And you want me to come to Jesus so I can be like you? The grace of God really is offensive to our religiosity. Because he's not fair. How many times have your kids said, that's not fair. Oh, God, the Easter egg hunt this morning was a nightmare at our house because my four-year-old got more eggs than one of my other children. And the Easter just fell apart. <laughs> now, if it offends you that we do Easter egg hunts, just know that I tell my children that the Easter egg money comes because he's worshiping the resurrection of Christ. <laughs> and that's what it's all about. So if you need to find another church, I understand. 
And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Now that is a huge reversal. Instead of fear in the day of judgment, we have boldness in the day of judgment. How could that be? Because I know God's madly in love with me. And we're to have that boldness now before the day of If you can have that boldness before God on the day of judgment, you can certainly have it now. Because he, as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. In other words, you don't have a full revelation of God's love for you. We love him because he first loved us. He has an individual love for you and I, just like you and I have a unique individual love for every one of our individual children. We don't just love all of our children as a whole. Each one of them have a unique personality, and so do you. Nobody can love God like you because there's nobody like you but you. So there's a unique love that you can return to God, and there's a unique love God has for you, just like we have for our children. Let me ask you a question. We're going to wrap this up. How far would you go to provide for and protect one of your children? I mean, if one of them's in danger, they're out in the middle of the street, and the cars come to you, say, "Well, I've got four more." And yet we just think that because there's so many people on the planet and God's so far away that he doesn't even really see us. And you've got to read the Bible to find out that's not true. You've got to walk with him to find out how much he's madly. I mean that. I'm not just overstating it. I'm understating it. How do you describe the love of God with English? Just one language. It's just crazy. That's why he allows us to speak in other tongues so we can worship him beyond our minds because he's so far beyond our minds. How far would you go? To provide for and protect your children. Let me ask you this. If it was a situation where it came down to either your life or the life of one of your children, what would you do? If you, if it could be that you would lose your life to save the life of one of your children. It's almost a rhetorical question, isn't it? Would you do it? Yes. I saw this graphically when my brother died. I was 16, he was 20, and uh, he got ran over by a car and he died. And my dad, after the funeral home was emptied out, and my son, my brother, was there in the casket. My dad, who was a believer, waited till everybody left because he knew God could do anything. He believed in the supernatural power of God. And when everybody left, he climbed into the casket with the corpse of my brother, and ask God to exchange his life for, for Don Allen. And when it did not happen, he cursed God and became a professed atheist for 25 years. And one day I had a conversation with him. I said, Dad... God could have done that. He chose not to. 
And he just grit his teeth and he's mad. Seething bitterness. And I said, it's not because he couldn't. The reason is because every individual has a personal choice what to do with their life. God places before us life and death. And he says, you choose. We don't have a right to take our own life. We can't exchange our life for another human being's life. Everyone has to decide for themselves what they're going to do with their lives. I put it in builder terms. I asked the Holy Spirit. I said, give me an illustration that my dad might understand. He was a home builder. I said, Dad, if you sold a home and there, there was a people living in that home and another family said, well, we want that home. And they parked themselves on the porch of that house with their suitcases and said, we want this home. Would you sell that home to the family that wanted it or not? And he said, absolutely not. And it seems like an obvious illustration, but not when somebody is lost in their thinking. And I said, well, God gave you a life and he gave Don Allen a life and he's not going to let you trade him. You have to decide what you're going to do with your life now. Don Allen's in God's hands. And my dad gave his life to Jesus. And we were standing in church, raising our hands together, worshiping God together. And I looked over and I thought, this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. But he made the right choice. Why did Jesus, when he was laying there on the cross, and he looks down the cross and he sees the hand that slung the stars into existence, healed the lepers, cleansed the lepers, raised the dead, Literally, with the hand he's looking at, stretched out on the cross, he looks at the hand that literally formed the cells in the bodies of the men that were about to drive a nail through his wrist. And with a flinch of a finger, he could literally annihilate them. Why did he allow them to do it? Because he knew it was either him or you. He did it for you. In closing, I want to talk to those here today that maybe have never given your life to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that they were wondered why there were three crosses. Why weren't there ten? Twenty. Why didn't they just have as many criminals up there as they could crucify at one time? I believe it was in the plan of God to have three. Because he had Jesus in the middle. And then he had the choice of life and death on either side. Both criminals, at first, began mocking Jesus. And then one of them changed. And he said to the other criminal, we are guilty of our sins. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he looks at Jesus and says, will you receive me into your kingdom when you come? And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Wouldn't that have been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to turn to the other criminal and say, would you like to be saved too? But he didn't. Because every person has their individual right to accept or reject Jesus. But that one criminal changed. And right now, 
can be your moment of change. Would you close your eyes with me? And if you're here today and you're a believer, I'm going to ask you right now to think about how you have individual love for a child of yours or something or someone in your life that you have love for and it's specific and it's individual love. Feel that love for a moment. Feel how you have that specific, unique love for that child or that person. Now I'm going to ask you to do the biblical thing. Now translate that love into that's the kind of love God has for you. His love for you is unique and it is specific. And I'm going to ask you to receive that right now. And even say, God loves me uniquely and specifically. And as you're praying that, I'm going to ask today, if you're here and you've never asked Jesus into your life, and right now is your turning point, would you raise your hand and say, I need to ask Jesus into my life. I need to roll my life over to him. I need my sins forgiven. I'm saying, Jesus, will you receive me into your kingdom when you come? Just like that thief on the cross. If that's you and you need your sins forgiven, you need to know you're cleansed and you're right with God. And you say, he did it for me and I'm receiving that. Shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, that's me. I need to ask Jesus Christ in my life this morning. Don't be afraid and don't wait. Do it now. Anybody, raise your hand. If that's me, I want to ask Jesus into my life. I don't see anybody's hands raised. What a great day just basking in the love of God, isn't it? God, we love you. God, we love you. In closing today, we always love to pray for the sick because God heals. He does so many wonderful things. I'm going to go out front in just a moment and greet the visitors, and I have a visitor packet for you. And in the visitor packet is a testimonial booklet. It's a booklet that records testimonies over the last couple of years of all that God has done in our church. Amazing testimonies. It will open up the reality of God's power to you. It will produce tremendous faith in you for your life. And so I'll give that to you out front. But also we're going to have prayer teams down here. The prayer teams, are, they want to pray for the sick. If you're here today, you have a chronic illness or a disease, incurable, pain in your body, whatever it might be, come down and let them pray with you. And God is going to touch you. Maybe you want to receive Christ, but you didn't raise your hand. You come down here. Maybe you want to come back to God. I believe there are people here today that heard this message and you realize you're the prodigal. You're the one that knew God, but you feel distant from him. I want you to come down here and let them pray with you. And you're going to be restored today and walk out of here with hope in your heart again. Can we all stand? God bless you guys. Mark, will you come and close out the service? Thanks for coming to the Easter service. It's a privilege to preach the good news to you. I pray it touched your heart today and made a difference.
as well as praying for physical sickness, we want to pray for whatever you have need for today. God doesn't just love our bodies. He loves our mind and he wants to give us peace. He loves our emotions and he wants to give us joy. He loves our minds and he wants to give us clarity of thought. He is here in his totality for you in your partiality. Whatever you're lacking, he has for you. So come for whatever reason. Maybe it's a relational problem you want prayer for. Maybe it's employment. Maybe it's an economic situation in these trying times. Maybe it's a physical thing. Whatever it is, God wants to meet you today and he wants to touch you and give you what you need from him. So we invite you to come now and we will pray for you. We're dismissed.